Hello everyone, welcome back to another bonus episode of the Early Education Show. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And yes, we're here. We're, we are still refusing to get to episode 100. We now have another bonus episode. I think we've done more bonus episodes in between episode 99 and 100 than in the entirety <laughs> of 2018. We do promise we're going to get to episode 100 very soon. But, but that's not because we're being difficult. It's just because all these interesting things are happening. I know. So we did. Um, we weren't planning to do this one, but um, I sort of, as tends to happen, I, I, I go on a Twitter rant and then I say, look, can we, can we quickly talk about this in the podcast? Because there's nothing I love more than talking through with, um, with my favourite people in the sector. So uh, most people will probably be aware, if you follow the media at all, it's been a really big story that sort of fits within our uh, uh, genre of rot alert with, with family daycare. But this, is, this has been a huge one. So here's a bit of a summary of what we kind of know based on what's being reported in the media. Um, 18 people were arrested last week as part of an alleged syndicate operation in the sector that managed to fraudulently claim up to $5 million through the rebate and subsidy system. Uh, the group claimed to operate in several locations in Sydney and Wollongong uh, under the name Red Roses Family Daycare. Care. And the New South Wales Police said the alleged scam had a level of sophistication we don't see in outlaw motorcycle gangs. Uh, police allege that no children were actually attending, uh, but are now investigating up to 150 parents. They say sold their children's identities to the group as part of the fraud. That's amazing. I'm definitely going to be coming back to that. Uh, it should be pointed out that this is an ongoing investigation and will be going to trial, so we won't get into too much detail about the alleged perpetrators. Um, but any time we talk about the incredibly complex subsidy system, we try and make sure we bring on friend of the podcast and incredibly smart cookie Carl Hessian to talk us through it. So Carl, firstly, welcome. And secondly, why is this case so fascinating? Why can't I stop thinking about it? Well, it's a very generous intro, Liam. Thank you very much. And um, hi there, Lisa. Um, look, it is an interesting one because the um, alleged fraud that's taken place, uh, at least as far as we can tell from the reporting in the media, looks as though it may have taken place in part, at least since the 1st of July last year under the new childcare subsidy system. And I suppose the interesting element about that from my perspective is the childcare su subsidy system was designed to um, really stamp out a lot of fraud in the sector. So from the outset- and Specifically kind of... fraud in the family daycare sector. Correct, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so from that point of view, there's a, I, I would argue that there's actually a strong, not only is there a human interest story to this because there's some fascinating elements about how it's um, been uh, covered up you know, and presented um, to be to be a genuine service, but also there's a, a strong public interest here to understand exactly how the alleged fraud was um, perpetrated. So there's so aside from all of the all of the exotic colour which came out last week about the lengths to which all the individuals have gone to, and it seems quite remarkable to have put together this masquerade. Um, there is at the end of the day some questions about how it was physically done under the new system, if it was. So, Carl, we, one of the things that's, um, there's been a lot of media articles about this, and I think one of the things we've sort of always noticed about the sector is that the, the, the stuff is so complex that journos don't have, obviously, and we wouldn't expect them to, to have a huge understanding of the system. So each of the media articles, and, it, and it's made it's, you know, it's made ABC News, it's made the Fairfax papers, I think it's made you know the, the News Corp papers in New South Wales as well. Um, but it's often, it, 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 in read, and I've given a really broad, summary are you able to sort of walk us through what what, what are the police what, what are they saying what's the actual fraud that's being committed here um unfortunately the reporting as you say is a little bit inexact and initially if we look through how it first was revealed last wednesday wednesday of course was the day of the raids the 8th of may um where some 300 police raided something like 23 properties across new south wales almost all of them um all, all of them in sydney except for one um the 
um, fraud appears to have taken the form of uh, the alleged fraud appears to have taken the form of these um, 17, 18 key conspirators enlisting the help of 150 parents, as they're described in the media, um, to get their details to present fake false claims through the childcare subsidy system. And what's interesting about this is that there are a couple of controls, financial controls that were put in place to try and prevent this sort of thing. So from the outset, the first control that was put in place with the new system is that all parents have to confirm their enrollment notices to confirm that they have actually got a child at the particular centre or service, in this case, a family take care service. And so what we're seeing here is if the reporting is correct, if there is this group of up to possibly 150 parents who have worked in close conjunction with the core criminal group, then that control has been completely undermined from the start. Um, and separately, as has been the case for um, a, a number of years, I suppose, going back a very long time now, we've had the, the childcare swapping problem phenomenon, specifically in family daycare, which started off as a sharp practice and then some years ago became outright unlawful. The reporting's a little bit unclear, but it looks as though there might be an element of that still going on. And um, if that's the case, I think uh, Department of Human Services would be particularly concerned. So we don't know the exact shape of um, what is alleged to have taken place in a nuts and bolts sense, but looking at the comments that are attributed to um, the assistant uh, supervisor, uh, acting assistant commissioner Stewart, he's made it very clear um, that they've got um, concerns about vulnerabilities in the um, way in which the childcare subsidy scheme can be defrauded. It is. It is fascinating. Yeah, it is, it is fascinating. This is we, we, we've been pretty much into the life of the podcast. We've been covering you know raw alert from one or the other. We know the government has loved to to crack down uh, on on this particular. But I guess um, the, the the scale of this is just kind of fascinating. So we sort of talked about some of the details that have emerged of this, and it's not surprising the media's loved it. But um, you know, one of the things we've seen is that there seems to have been some sort of operation in place where when there was compliance checks, and it's not entirely clear whether they are. Uh, NQF compliance checks or whether they are um, uh, department sort of, uh, you know, financial compliance checks. I get the sense there are that they're, they're on the department side, but as soon as they heard that someone was on the way, they, they managed to set up, you know, um, you know they, they managed to very quickly move into operation and make these, these, um, these educators get their houses looking like they were sort of operating services. And we're talking about, you know, services that appear to be operating out of the back of, you know, garages and stuff, but the, the, the scale of, of the fraud seems to be quite amazing. <laughs> But, but Liam, it actually, like, if we look at how an F a family daycare service is assessed um, it, under the national quality framework, and one of the things that we need to look at is that this service was um, became an approved provider in 2014. And it looks, as Carl says, certainly they were still listed as an approved provider up until a few weeks ago, at least, I think. Well, they were still, sorry, sorry, Lisa, I shouldn't interrupt. Yep. They, they, were, they were still coming up on the ASEQA website last Wednesday. Okay, so the day of the race, Correct. Um, they were still an approved provider. Now, you know, possibly um, they were kept 
on as an approved provider to allow the investigation to have enough to go ahead, like they may have been found out for quite a while. But they were assessed and rated in 2013. And they were assessed and rated not as the media reported, as um, significant improvement required, but as working towards the National Quality Framework. In fact, in Quality Area 4, they got meeting the National Quality Framework. How family daycare services are rated can um, change change slightly from service to service. Some services have been rung and told which educators are going to be checked. So the service itself is checked. And in this case, they did have a service. It was in a shop front. And then um, the, uh, the assessment officer goes and checks one or two educators for the service, depending upon the service's size. And... Sometimes those services, which educators have been chosen are notified in advance and other times those educators are, um, those, like the, the service is told on the day which educators are being checked. So if you had, you know, like if, like I can see a situation where you have two educators set up to be the services with children in them, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, like the assessor comes and assesses those services, those educators. Does that make sense? Am I being clear here? Well, you're being clear about how complex it seems to be to be fitting family daycare assessments and rating. I mean, one of the questions I had about this was, so you're, so if it was assessed in 2013, it wasn't assessed between then and 2019? Is that, that, that seems pretty uh, well uh, behind what the schedule should be for assessment and rating. No, no, oh, sorry, I've got the dates wrong. It oh. was, they started in 2014. Carl, when were they assessed? Uh 2017 under the yeah. NQS 2012. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is one of the big things that stood out for me was they received uh, you know a rating and yeah it was working towards as you said in six of the quality areas and in, in and meeting in one of them. Um, so one of the questions I sort of had when we were sort of talking about this online was is it possible um, and I'd be interested in your view on this, Carl. Is it possible that the service started as you know not 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 a high quality service, obviously, but as probably and it was set up maybe to operate as a service, and they moved into fraud? Because I, I don't know if this is just my naivety. I just don't know. I don't know how you can have a service that isn't operating and has phantom children that can get uh, you know even even you know a working towards rating. It should it should be significant improvement required. Surely, if it's just a fraudulent uh, ghost service. Well, so, yeah, why why Len? Well, because the, what you need to have in place to even go through the assessment and rating system, and it would worry me slightly. And I, and I know, and I, I do understand what you're saying around the fact that the the educators themselves are largely, you know, sort of cut off or, or separated from the scheme. But for the scheme itself to be assessed and rated, even to make it through that process and receive working towards, like they 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 must they they cannot just have been a fraudulent shell of a company at that point. Surely, I I, I disagree. 
I think it would be very, like, okay, if you and I and Carl, with our knowledge of the system, wanted to set up a fraudulent... Hey, whoa, um, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hypothetical only, let's be clear. Hypothetical <laughs> only. It would be very, I think it would be very easy for us to, you know, like... If you think about the quality areas, yes, you've got to have your policies in place. Yes, you've got to, you know, prove how wonderfully you're doing with your, um, with your families. You've got to prove your programming. You've got to prove all of that stuff. It's in the case of a family daycare service, or in the case of any service, a lot of that is showing things on paper, isn't it? Well, yes, but there's also components of uh, of of, um, of visits which are unannounced and announced as well. This may be my lack of knowledge of the family daycare setup, which I'm prepared to own. But it just seems I, I I look at I've got to say, as someone who's currently operating a service, I I don't think you could you could get to the point where you could be getting you know even one of the quality areas assessed as meeting without yeah. you know having children around. It just seems madness. Sorry, sorry, Dean was talking over you talking over you there. Uh, I, mean, I think your question is is still a good one. Um, we don't know from the reporting whether this was a situation which was from the outset set up to be a, a, a scam, if in fact it has been a scam. We're proceeding on the assumption that it is for the moment, or, or whether it was a service that started off legitimately and then somehow along the line went bad. And I think that goes to the heart of one of the challenges that was in place with the old child, uh, the childcare management system in the past was that it allowed for the spontaneous discovery of how to perpetuate a fraud um, in that system by making simple mistakes and discovering that money came through. Now I'm not going to I'm not going to not going to put my neck out there and say that that um, this was a genuine business and it had gone bad somewhere on the way, but it's possible that maybe it started off as a very small legitimate enterprise, and then it slowly got larger and as it did it expanded into into being into being fraudulent. Except so, that remember the way that the media has reported that this came into the public sphere is through um, uh, another investigation that they were doing about, um, was it green slip fraud or? CPI yeah. fraud, yeah. Com compulsory. Compulsory third party insurance. Insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And certainly some of the media reports suggested that this is an unusual situation in Australia, but it's becoming more common where the media was suggesting that people are coming to Australia specifically to commit certain types of fraud. It linked the media report I'm talking about linked this with... Um, uh, um, with, uh, I think it was Chilean um, hit and run criminals or you know, bag snatching. <laughs> God. And they said, you know, where people are brought from a specific company, a country specifically for the purpose of committing a fraud of this type. I think the challenge of this one, though, is that if the records are as good as they're described to be, and um, from what we read their rostering system was impeccable it sounds like <laughs> it might be very very hard to go back and say look beyond the period which we observed if you were the investigators beyond the period which we observed how do you say that it was definitively a fraud as opposed to probably a fraud you know well, and okay. i don't that's a challenge isn't it so 
Um, that that but, wouldn't be so hard, surely, if the parents, like, you know, if you say to the parents whose children were theoretically minded, please, um, you know, like, did this actually happen? And if you tell the, say the wrong thing, then, you know, you've committed a, you know, like, if if you tell us what happened, we won't press charges. Well, isn't the case with this one as well? And I want to make sure I've got my understanding correct here that there have been 18 people arrested, 17 of them were charged, and they are the ones directly associated with the coordinating of this criminal, criminal activity. Um, and then there's this pool of 150 parents, and it's not entirely clear just how many, say, educators may have had claims put against their names um, in the system. So I, I felt from my reading of the news as if what had happened was that there were three people who were charged with the, the um, actual charges, and I haven't got it in front of me, but were quite quaint. They're called things like um, establish a criminal activity and then the others were charged with things called participate in a criminal yes. activity. And so I got the feeling that there was three head honchos Mm-hmm. And then the other people were the people that were um, uh, acting as as you know acting you know as educators, um, and then the parents had had yet to be charged. Well, that's right, and I, and I guess it's not clear from, um, from reading it whether um, the parents had sort of had an ongoing involvement or or a one-off involvement. Um, with regards to how this criminal group ended up with their CRN date of birth details to be able to make the make the claims, um, which is why it's interesting under the new system because the parental involvement can't be um, accidental. You can't accidentally confirm an enrolment notice if a service is saying that your you know your child attends there. Um, and of course, when we come to the, uh, uh, the the elaborate Christmas event they had last year, or end of year event, I suppose I should say, um, it makes you do think, does make you think that the parental, parental involvement hasn't been of a, you know, of a one-off nature. <laughs> it has been, has been some, deeper in some way, doesn't it? So this is mm, one of the... Reckon, no. What? If you look at that, if you look at the video of that event, it's some, you know, like it's a school event. No. Um, it, it certainly doesn't have children not to five, which would make up the bulk of family daycare but this attendees. Get, but this gets to one of my questions, which is going back to sort of the point you were making, Lisa, is that this, in your view, this seems possible that you could, with a bit of effort, you know, manage, a, you know, sorry, you, you can not operate a service, but somehow convince the regulator, the Department of Education that's happening. Now, assuming that's true, I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but that's not, is that not a huge issue for the sector if that's something that can be done? And if, you know, if they were using this, so what we're referring to there was one of the other hilarious points of this article was that, um, you know, there was apparently a live streamed graduation service as some measure of evidence that this was a, an actually operating service. Yeah, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a graduation service. It was a like a Christmas party of a much older cohort. Look, but, how? Yeah, you know, this is how I see it as happening, and and I could be being naive here, but this is what you know I imagine has probably happened is that um, three people have chosen to set this up. They've convinced 
for the payment of money, a number of people to act as the quasi-educators, right? And those quasi-educators then would have had to have got um, uh, proto-numbers, you know, but I'm imagining that the people that they asked to get those proto-numbers were people that probably didn't read English and so they just kind of, you know, did the proto-applications for them, asked them for their birth certificates, et cetera, and put it all, did it all online for them and just got the person to, you know, like let them do that for the payment of a, a sum, yeah, with the person not having much with the people not having much understanding of what they were doing. For even further, with the payments, I think they just said to people, you know, like, again, people without in reading the, you know, high reading of English capabilities um, will pay you this much if, if you, um, uh, you know, if you um, let us... Like, not let us use your child's name, but if you just give us your name and date of, of your child, we'll pay you some money. And then they just went through and um, uh, did the CCS applications for them and then um, uh, um, you know, got those families to accept the, what's it called that you've got to have now, the... The CWA, the complying written yeah, agreement. Yeah, the CWA, etc. Yeah, look, I don't think you're being naive at all. I think that that's probably the um, the simplest scenario, which which broadly fits everything that's been portrayed, doesn't it? You know, in, in a sense, um, it's almost like an Australian form of uh, affinity fraud, uh, which is the which is the phrase that's used um, uh, elsewhere, where a particular community or cohort is targeted, and 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 I'll just I guess paraphrasing exactly what you said, that you have a couple of key principles, the ones who have you know, coordinated a gang, and they've got a more sophisticated understanding about what's going on. And if they are dealing with people for whom um, English is a second or subsequent language, then it could be a very easy thing to be the gatekeeper for the understanding of how the whole thing is going to be controlled. So I guess I'm kind of sympathetic the further you get away from the principles of the of, of, a, of, a, of a fraud, at least as a disposition, you know. And we'll find out over time just exactly what uh, what the reach what the reach genuinely is. But that's why I'd look at it. I'd look at it as a kind of a, a variation of affinity fraud. But I think one of the things that really this story I think twists on for us, Carl. So it's not we we don't have a hundred percent clarity about whether this fraud has taken place since july last year do we so there's nothing that's sort of i think there's indications that it has and the fact that it's only now you know the, the swooping has only happened now so it's unlikely that the fraud suddenly stopped on july 2018 given the arrests only happened last year but um so i guess we, we i guess we should be careful about proceeding with that clarity but if it does this poses big huge issues for the system doesn't it the reporting is frustrating because the reporting at first referred to childcare rebate, childcare benefit, and then subsequently you know, childcare subsidy. I think looking across the various pieces, the late, especially on late Thursday and Friday, it did seem to be clarified as though it was the childcare subsidy system. And we still need to find out whether that is the case or not, that it's not, these aren't historic, as in before that point, but afterwards. And if it is, then this, to my mind, is a challenging fraud for the Department of Human Services. 
because it's gone across two systems? Well, because the system was designed to, as you said before, specifically in family daycare, to, to stamp out some of this activity. The, the, the idea that you could get a conspiracy of such a scale where 150 people potentially have gone online and confirmed the enrolment notices to a service where they've provided the childcare, their, their, their CRNs and dates of births, is, is actually, I would have thought, quite a hard thing to do. I couldn't go and round up that many people to, to do that. You know, if we were if we were running our our fictional hypothetical children's service, as you described yeah, before, I think you could if you if you were the a respected elder in a community and um, you know that um, people looked up to you and you explain this as a way of getting more money for that community. Well, that does make sense of it for sure, and um, you know. As someone who's not a respected member of the community, um, <laughs> can't quite relate. This is the one stumbling block in our plan, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, okay, let's put it. Let's put it another way. Then the challenge for the challenge for DHS is, and I don't know enough about this at all, but I'll sort of put it out there as an open question: How well how well targeted are their non English communications on this on this face on the on this front? And I'll leave it as a rhetorical question because I really don't know the answer to that. But if this is... um, I can answer that, uh, well, not about Department of Human Services, but the Department of Education um, have done a number of publications in different languages um, trying to get to the people that might be engaged as educators in fraudulent activity, explaining that in those languages that educators can also be done for for committing fraud in this area. So they've certainly, you know, the Department of Education has certainly gone widely with this. Okay. Wonderful. Well, you know, I think we've, uh, this, this, this is just a fascinating story and I think we, you know, we may come back to it once we know what the outcome is, but do we get any sense of like what, because I think the point for me here is, you know, that, one of the huge, one of the fundamental reasons that I guess the childcare subsidy was always such a weird um, way of approaching funding early education is that it's basically trying to retrofit a fraud prevention device to an, an early education <laughs> sector. So now we've got, you know, an evidence that that, well, a possible evidence is really hinges on whether this fraud carried on after, you know, July last year. Um are we likely to then see? Well, I mean, we're obviously right in the middle of an election campaign, so we could potentially have a new government next year. But let's, you know, if the if the, if the current government was returned, I, I don't know. I don't look. I think this is an unfair question because I don't think either of you can answer this. But can we see further crackdowns? Like, were they likely to? What, oh, what can they tighten up here? Liam, I went to the first national quality framework. Um, uh, session, a review, review session the other day. And it's clear that they're going to bring in more, you know, that they want to bring in more things to make um, family daycare fraud harder through the National Quality Framework review as well. You know, so that's not a financial thing, but just to, um, yeah, to make it harder. Well, and this is not a conversation for this uh, podcast. We may have to tackle this, but this, I mean, surely as well as the compliance and and fraud prevention stuff, this probably is going to have to spark a bit of a discussion about whether family daycare comfortably fits within these systems. Probably doesn't it? There's going to have to be that conversation well, at some point. Liam, I disagree because I think it it does fit comfortably within it. It is a form of 
you know, education and care that a number of families are more comfortable with using than centre-based care. And until the influx of dodgy family daycares, it was a, a quite a respected, you know, form of family uh, of early education and care. Well, I think to be to be clear, I'm not suggesting that's not the case, but it, that something is clearly not fitting with the regulatory framework. I'm not suggesting that the sector should shut down, but I just wonder whether either the NQF or the subsidy system is the best way to manage it. I still can't get past the idea that a CEQA rated this service. At the fund well, of, a CEQA didn't rate it. Oh, sorry, no, the, the Department South of... Yeah, Department sorry. of I made the mistake. Education. I yelled at someone else earlier today. For, I made the exact same mistake. But this this service receipt, I, I don't know why I can't get past this point, but there well, is something fundamentally yeah, wrong if the service wasn't Lee, real and it got a rating. I agree absolutely. And I think it must be incredibly embarrassing for the New South Wales <laughs> Government Department, you know, to, for this to have happened on their watch um, because, you know, like... Yes, you could. I could set this up. You could set this up. We could set this up. You know, <laughs> um, oh, gee, our service would have great policies because I'd write these <laughs> policies. Carl would just make sure that you know we had had dotted every T and every Y on every um, you know, who everything to do with the subsidy system. And um, I'm sure that you could do a great front for us when you explained the educational programs and practices that we provided, Liam. So, you know, I think we could we could get that together, but to hold it together enough through a, a ratings review, through a, you know, a rating, assessment and ratings visit, and to, you know, I'm imagining someone saying, okay, they've picked, um, you know, Mirabelle and Ariella to, you know, as the two investigators, go and tell those people that that's their names, you know. And so the assessor then goes out to the two houses that have already been set up with children, etc., and says to one of them, are you Maribella and are you Ariella? And they say, yes, yes, that's our names, you know. So what happens from there? Does the assessor not ask for proof that that's the educator's house that they're in? Or did they set up, you know, 30 educators on that day all to have children that had never minded children beforehand? Or did it, in fact, all manage to happen because of a bit of, you know, uh, racism that means that if they were, in fact, you know, from a, a certain cultural minority that, that, you know, there could be passing of um, identification, identity material without the assessor realising that the person that they thought they were, the educator that they thought they were interviewing wasn't actually the one that was on the paper. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, like, yeah no, it's, I agree. It's, it's, you know, you can set it up all on paper really well, but it comes down to that visit, you know. And I think you could, you know, you could have someone who knew family daycare backwards and forwards there that had read all the stuff about it and that could present it in a, as if it was a good service, you know? Yeah. 
Um, and I think, in fairness to the various regulatory authorities as well, I, I don't think they're, they're going about their job with such an extreme degree of cynicism that they're expecting people to be committing kind of fraud, certainly well, on the scale. I, no, that's not true. In New South Wales, the Department of um, Education was told about fraudulent um, for-profit family daycare services, you know, like 10 years ago. And it's... It, when they first came in, oh, sorry, it wasn't 10 years ago. It was about, I think, 2012, 2013, that the huge increase in the numbers went in. But they've been told about them constantly. They knew that they existed. The Commonwealth and the state government have been working towards it. They know that they cluster in two specific areas in New South Wales. Um, yeah, there's about 10 in each area, and this was one of the areas. Okay. Surely, you know, you'd be going in there, you know, checking these with a fine tooth comb. The other thing that's interesting that you guys may not be aware is that in um, family daycare in New South Wales, in April of 2018, all family daycare services got um, limited as to the number of educators that they could have and they got a condition put on their licence about those number of educators and they got a condition put on their licence about the number of coordinators they had to have for that number of educators. This service that has been closed had a limit of 60 educators. Now, that's quite a large service. The way they decided that the, the limit on those educators was they looked at a number of things. They looked at the existing number of educators you had, your compliance history, your compliance history with the childcare benefit and childcare um, rebate. They looked at your compliance with the regulations. They looked at any spot checks you had and at your assessment and rating. So someone, and like, you know, some very good services had their numbers cut in half or just, you know, set at the number of um, educators that they currently had during this time. Somebody went over all of those family daycare schemes and looked at all that stuff and assessed them and gave them a number. And this service was assessed, you know, to have 60, to have 60 educators. Mm. I think, as you know, one day there'll be a fascinating, it'd be great to have someone, I think I said this on Twitter, you know, some, someone with an early childhood background digging in and investigating this story, because I think it's just a fascinating story here about how this has come <laughs> together. Um, we've probably talked about this uh, raw alert way more than we should have. We've, we've crossed well over the 30-minute mark. You know, but Carl, from your perspective, is there anything you know we, we haven't talked about in this story? There are a lot of twists and turns and details of this one, but I think we're going to have to wait for a little while to see if we get any more... Um, info through media outlets, I guess, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much. Um, the two things, again, just to come back to and re-emphasise on the way out the door. I, I love it are... when somebody else says two things on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> when? And this is the part that was disappointing about the media reporting, the when and the how. Uh, we're proceeding on the assumption that there's a strong suspicion this has taken place since the 1st of July. And then and the, the how is crucially important here. Is this simply the case of a scheme which has somehow acquired, purchased, um, uh, borrowed, whatever, CRNs and dates of birth uh, to process um, 
um, enrollment notices and have those confirmed and then subsequently do the claims? Or is it more of a old style um, fake child swapping with a bit of a twist under the new system? And I think we kind of need to, need to know what's happened there to be able to understand where the subsequent crackdown will come from, which will come. A lot of unanswered questions. Well, I mean, it may be that more comes out uh, down the track, and I assume it'll eventually go to trial and some details will will be released there, and we may be able to do a bit of a follow-up to this bonus. But um, I'd like to thank uh, Carl and Lisa for, for talking us through this quite complex but fascinating uh, story. We will be getting to episode 100 very soon, we promise. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to promise no more bonuses before we get to episode 100. But um, uh, thank you. Thanks, Carl, for joining us and talking us through this issue. Welcome. Cheerio. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. And until we uh, we'll see you with episode 100, it's goodbye from me. And from me. You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leanne McNicholas and produced by Leanne McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyeduShow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyeduShow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time. Come on, Carl, say goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye from me.